the question hangs heavy on your mind. The past few weeks are really a little bit of a blur. You're not sure exactly how it all happened. But you're on your way home Sunday morning from the worship assembly and somebody rear-ended you. You didn't notice it, but the impact caused your Bible to slide out from under the passenger seat where it was hidden. As the police officer questioned you, he happened to look through the window and he saw it. Immediately he had your car impounded and you were arrested and taken to jail and questioned. The trial was hurried. They called together several witnesses. Your boss was called in and he pointed out that you always did your job well, you never cut corners, but he always thought it was strange because whenever anybody else started telling dirty jokes, you would walk away. They called in your neighbor who said, you know, I never saw him drinking and he always had some place to go on Sundays. They called several other witnesses, but it's all just a jumble in your mind. And at the end of the trial, they convicted you as guilty. Guilty of being a Christian who not only believed the who not only read the Bible but believed it and followed it. And now they have you in the electric chair. They put the tape over your eyes, and the phone rings, and they tell you that a stay has been offered for your execution. All you have to do is deny Jesus. Admit that the Bible is just a book of fairy tales and that Christianity is nothing more than a hoax. What will you do? You realize that you have a choice of life or of death. You could just cave. After all, the majority of people anymore don't believe the Bible. Most folks think that it's fairy tales. You could just go along with them. Or you could just lie to them. You could say, yes, it's a hoax, they're fairy tales, and then go on about your business afterwards and just try to be more careful. Or you could stand on your faith and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, that you believe the Bible, and you believe that Jesus is the Son of God who lived and died and was resurrected so that we could be forgiven of our sins. What do you do? I like to think that in that scenario, and I am certainly glad that those scenarios do not take place today, I would like to think that in that scenario I would deny their request, that I would stand firm on my faith in the Bible, that I would proclaim that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, but it's, it's really easy to say that here, behind a lectern in front of all of you. It might be a little harder when you're under the gun, literally. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, beginning at verse 35, the Hebrew writer spoke of folks who had been willing to die. It said that women received back their dead by resurrection, and others were tortured, not accepting their release, in order that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others experienced mockings and scourgings, yes, also chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were tempted. They were put to death with the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated, men of whom the world was not worthy, wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. They were willing to die so that they might obtain a better resurrection. The question we have to ask is what are we willing to die for? I'd like for us to take just a few moments this morning and look at some of the folks in Scripture 
who were willing to die and why they were willing to die and examine ourselves in those same situations would we make the same choices that they made. Before we do that, would you bow with me in prayer, please? Glorious Father in heaven, we humble ourselves before you because you are awesome and powerful. You are the great God who has created all things and it's by your word and will that they are sustained. You've provided us with air to breathe. You've provided us with food to eat. We have clothes to wear. We live in homes. We have family and friends. But most of all, we're thankful for the provision of our salvation through the blood of your Son, Jesus Christ. We're thankful for your Spirit who has revealed your word. And because of these things, we honor and praise and glorify your name, lifting you up because you are worthy to be exalted and honored. Father, we thank you so much for the forgiveness you have offered through your Son. We are so unworthy. We are deserving of death. We are deserving of eternity in hell. But you, through your grace and mercy, have provided for our salvation, sacrificing your Son, that we might have your mercy and be forgiven. Help us always to live for that. Help us to demonstrate our love for you by living according to your word, by worshiping you and honoring you and doing things your way. We pray that your hand of mercy would be with this congregation. Help us to be committed to you, to spread your gospel so that others can be a part of your family. Help us today as we study your word to have our hearts open, to be impacted so that we would be willing to live for you and willing to die for you. We love you, Father, and we thank you for loving us. It's through your Son who died for us that we pray. Amen. As we look through the Bible, we find folks that were repeatedly willing to die. I just want us to take a look at a few of them. We're going to quickly go through ten folks and why they were willing to die. The first place we want to look is in Daniel chapter 3. In Daniel chapter 3, there we meet three young men, Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael. You probably know them as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they were willing to die. They were willing to die over the question, who is God? You remember the story. We know it well. Nebuchadnezzar had created the statue. And he had commanded that everybody in the land should bow down before it whenever the psalteries and the harps and the timbrels played. But Azariah, Mishael, and Hananiah said that they wouldn't do it. They refused. And when that was found out, they were brought before Nebuchadnezzar, and Nebuchadnezzar was enraged. And in verse 14 of Daniel chapter 3, Nebuchadnezzar responded and said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready, at the moment you hear the sound of the horn, flute, lyre, trigon, psaltery, bagpipe, and all kinds of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made very well. But if you do not worship, you will immediately be cast into the midst of a furnace of blazing fire. And what God is there who can deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire, and He will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But even if He does not, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. When we consider this scenario, it's actually rather interesting because these three men did not have to deny their own God. They merely had to add more and worship multiple gods. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego knew who was God. 
And they were not willing to add false gods to the list of those that they would worship. They were willing to die. Would we? In the same circumstance, would we be willing to die believing that our God would deliver us even if it was through death? Then there's Paul. Paul was willing to die over who Jesus is. In Acts chapter 23 and verse 6. Acts chapter 23 and verse 6. Paul is on trial. He's been taken prisoner. He is now before the council of the Jews. And in that council, he recognizes that there's a split. There are some Pharisees and there are some Sadducees. The Sadducees don't believe in angels or the resurrection. The Pharisees did. And in chapter 23 and verse 6, perceiving that one group were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, Paul began crying out in the council, Brethren, I am a Pharisee, a son of Pharisees. I am on trial for the hope and resurrection of the dead. And effectively, he divided the council so that they began arguing with one another more than they were concerned about Paul. And the Romans had to pull him out because it looked like they were going to rip him apart there on the floor. But this statement here is actually an interesting play on what the real issue was. Paul used this to divide the group, but when he said he was on trial for the hope of the resurrection of the dead, he wasn't just on trial for the hope of the resurrection of the dead. He was on trial because he believed in the resurrection from the dead of Jesus the Christ. And he was willing to die for it. In fact, in chapter 21 and verse 13, as Paul was traveling on his way to Jerusalem, many told him that chains await you. But in 21 and verse 13, Paul answered, What are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be bound, but even to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Paul was ready and willing to die over who Jesus is. Are we? Would we be willing if somebody threatened to kill us unless we denied Jesus? Denied His resurrection? Denied what it meant for us? These are hard questions for us because we don't really think in terms of serving God leading to death. But what if it happens again? As it has happened repeatedly throughout the world's history. Then there's Daniel. Daniel was willing to die regarding God's law and God's pattern. Look in Daniel chapter 1. In Daniel chapter 1, Daniel and his friends had been taken captive. Nebuchadnezzar had conquered Jerusalem and Israel and had taken home several of the young nobles. And Daniel was among them. And when he got them there, he really only wanted them to be held captive. He wasn't going to be making them prisoners, but he was going to turn them into Babylonians so that the folks back home in Jerusalem would obey. And he had a certain amount of food set out for each of them and a certain kind of education, and he changed their name. But in Daniel chapter 1 and verse 8, Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the king's choice food or with the wine which he drank. So he sought permission from the commander of the officials that he might not defile himself. Now, we don't know exactly what would cause this food to have defiled Daniel, but Daniel understood. Daniel knew whatever it was about this food that would keep him from obeying the law of God, and he refused to do it. 
God granted Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the commander of the officials. And in verse 10, the commander of the officials said to Daniel, I am afraid of my lord the king who has appointed your food and your drink. For why should he see your faces looking more haggard than the youths who are your own age? Then you would make me forfeit my head to the king. See, the point was, if they didn't do what the king said, they were going to die. Especially if the king found out because he saw that Daniel and his friends were weak and weary in comparison to the others. But Daniel was willing to die. God had a pattern. God had a law. And Daniel refused to be defiled by disobeying the pattern of God. Think about this. This is not a big deal. This is just some food. Everybody else seems to be doing it. Surely, surely in comparison to so many other laws under the Old Covenant, this issue of being undefiled by food was such a minor thing that surely God wouldn't care. But Daniel was willing to die rather than go against God's pattern and God's plan. This was a repeated thing for Daniel. Daniel was willing to die in chapter 6 in order to properly worship God. In Daniel chapter 6, again, these are all stories that we know we've learned from our childhood. And sadly, all too often these stories that we learn from our childhood stay back there as children's stories. But these are real events. These are real people that faced the test, that were put up against the possibility of death, and they were willing to die. And in Daniel chapter 6, in verse 6, the commissioners and the satraps came by agreement to the king and spoke to him as follows, King Darius, live forever. All the commissioners of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the high officials and the governors have consulted together that the king should establish a statute and enforce an injunction that anyone who makes a petition to any god or man besides you, O king, for thirty days shall be cast into the lion's den. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it may not be changed according to the laws of the Medes and the Persians which may not be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document, that is, the injunction. Now, when Daniel knew that the document was signed, he entered his house. Now, in his roof chamber, he had windows open toward Jerusalem, and he continued kneeling on his knees three times a day, praying and giving thanks before his God as he had been doing previously. Daniel could have gone upstairs and closed the windows, and they wouldn't have known. But that would have suggested to the world that he was following the king's command instead of God's. Daniel was willing to die in order to properly worship God. Are we? Would we be willing to die? If somewhere along the line it was made illegal to gather in this type of assembly in order to worship God as a congregation, as God has said, would we continue to do it? Or would we back off? We need to take this caution before we are quick to say, oh yes, I would die in order to worship God properly, we best be careful. How can we say we would be willing to die in order to worship God if we'll allow so many things to get in the way of our worship of God today? If we'll say that, well, I know the saints are worshiping, but I already did that today, so I'm not going to come back tonight. If we'll say, I already prayed on Monday, so I don't have to pray again on Tuesday. If we'll get in arguments about how often we need to read our Bibles and pray to God and study with others over trivial things like watching football or going fishing. 
If we'll allow those things to get in the way of our worship, let's not convince ourselves that we would die in order to properly worship. Then there's Joseph. Joseph Joseph was willing to die in order to maintain moral purity. In Genesis chapter 39... Genesis chapter 39. And think about this with Joseph. So many things had gone against him. He had been taken captive and made a slave. He had been taken away from his family. But now he gets here and he's, he's doing well in Potiphar's house. And he's given control over everything in the house except for one thing. And that's Potiphar's wife. And that's to be expected. But Potiphar's wife wants Joseph. And in verse 7 of Genesis 39, it came about after these events that his master's wife looked with desire at Joseph, and she said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, with me here my master does not concern himself with anything in the house, and he has put all that he owns in my charge. There's no one greater in this house than I, and he has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do this great evil and sin against God? And she spoke to Joseph day after day. He did not listen to her to lie beside her or be with her. Now it happened one day that he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the household was there inside. She caught him by his garment saying, Lie with me. And he left his garment in her hand and fled and went outside. And we know what happened. She framed him and he was thrown in prison. But he recognized his life was in her hands. Think about this. It would have been fun. Nobody would have to know. And yet Joseph was willing to die in order to maintain his moral purity. Would we? But John the Baptist took it a step further. John the Baptist was not just willing to die in order to maintain his own moral purity. John the Baptist was willing to die in order to teach others about their moral purity. In Matthew chapter 14. In Matthew chapter 14. Verse 3. When Herod had John arrested, he bound him and put him in prison because of Herodias, the wife of his brother Philip. For John had been saying to him, it is not lawful for you to have her. Under the law of God at that time, it was not lawful for Herod to be married to this woman because she'd been the wife of his brother. And because of that, he was imprisoned. And with John, it ultimately led to his death. John was not willing to be silent just because his life was on the line. Herod was sinning, and so was his wife. And he was concerned about their souls. I think this is very appropriate for us today because in our society, we are taught that we are supposed to be tolerant. That we're supposed to just put up with sin and that, we, and that tolerance means silence. That we shouldn't talk out against adultery. We shouldn't talk out against living together before marriage. We shouldn't talk out against homosexuality. And who knows what's going to happen in the next generation because of these issues. And if these things are made illegal, so that those who teach against them are cast into prison, would we be willing to die for them? Or would we prefer to back off? We already struggle with this today considering the very similar situation here. God's law on marriage and divorce and remarriage. 
And how often instead of standing up and trying to help people being saved by what God has said, we want to back off and allow them to continue living in sin because at least they won't be mad at us. Are we willing to die? The apostles were willing to die just to be able to teach. In Acts chapter 5, in Acts chapter 5, the apostles were all imprisoned. And in Acts chapter 5 and verse 33, after they had been before the council, when the council heard this, they were cut to the quick and intended to kill them. But we know what happened. Gamaliel stood up and said, guys, this is not a good idea. If this is from God, we'll be in trouble. We'll, fight. we'll be fighting against God. If it's not, it'll disappear in a few days anyway. So they decided not to kill them. They took his advice. And in verse 40, after calling the apostles in, they flogged them and ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and then released them. I have no doubt that since they had been intending to kill them, that as they released them, they said to him, if you don't stop, we are going to kill you. So they went on their way from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they kept right on teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Would we be willing to keep on teaching in the face of death? Again, this is another one of those things where we need to be careful. I know in this assembly we want to say, oh, absolutely, we would keep on teaching even with threatened, even if threatened with death. But how many times are, do we keep from teaching just because we're worried somebody won't like us? If we keep from teaching at that point, how can we be convinced that we would continue teaching even if threatened with death? The apostles were willing to keep on preaching and teaching, even in the face of death. Then there was James and Peter in Acts chapter 12. In Acts chapter 12 and verse 1, it says, About that time Herod the king laid hands on some who belonged to the church in order to mistreat them. And he had James, the brother of John, put to death with a sword. When he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. Why, were Peter, why did it please the Jews for James to die and for Peter to be imprisoned? Because the message that Peter and James taught offended the Jews. Now, brethren, we understand and we know, and I hope that if we have any guests here, you understand this, that Peter and James were not out with a specific intent of trying to be offensive to anyone. They were out trying to save people. But there are people that just didn't like the message. And that's the way it is today. None of us are out to try to offend people, but we've just got to understand that the gospel message is offensive. And people won't like it. In fact, that's what Paul was talking about in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning at about verse 21. Let's start there. 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 21. In the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God. God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For indeed, Jews ask for signs and Greeks search for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. To Jews a stumbling block and to Gentiles foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. What's it point out? The, the message of Christ crucified is offensive. The Jews saw it as a stumbling block. Their Messiah shouldn't have died. The Gentiles excuse me, thought it was foolishness. You know what that means? If folks view our message as a stumbling block or as foolishness, if we continue preaching it, guess what they're going to say about us? That we're stumbling blocks or we're fools. They're going to be offended. That's just the way it's going to happen. 
Are we willing to die over that? Again, we need to be warned. If we're not even willing to maintain the gospel message even though it offends, we must not believe that we would be willing to die even though it was offensive. And then there was Jeremiah. Jeremiah was willing to die in order to proclaim the judgment. Jeremiah chapter 26. And I'll let you know if you get the outline, I got the, I've got the wrong chapter there. It says chapter 16 in the outline. I'm sorry, but we're actually in chapter 26. In Jeremiah chapter 26, beginning at verse 20, we learn about a man named Uriah, the son of Shemaiah, who was a prophet of God. And it says there in verse 20 of Jeremiah 26, Indeed, there was also a man who prophesied in the name of the Lord, Uriah the son of Shemaiah from Kiriath-Jerim, and he prophesied against this city and against this land, words similar to all those of Jeremiah. When King Jehoiakim and all his mighty men and all the officials heard of his words, then the king sought to put him to death. But Uriah heard it, and he was afraid and fled and went to Egypt. Then King Jehoiakim sent men to Egypt. El Nathan, the son of Akbor, and certain men with him went into Egypt. They brought Uriah from Egypt and led him to King Jehoiakim, who slew him with a sword and cast his dead body into the burial place of the common people. But the hand of Ahikam, the son of Shaphan, was with Jeremiah, so that he was not given into the hands of the people to put him to death. Here was the prophet of God, Uriah, who had died over this message of judgment. The text says he taught similar words to Jeremiah. Jehoiakim wanted to kill him as well. At this particular point, Someone was there to help Jeremiah, and he lived, but he kept on teaching the message of judgment. What about us today? Are we willing to die to teach people about the judgment? Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27 says, It's appointed unto men they'll die once, and after this the judgment. A judgment is coming. And those who have done righteousness will be raised to life, and those who have not will be raised to eternal damnation. John 5, 28 says it. But folks don't want to hear it. Most folks don't want to hear it. And when we start telling them about the judgment of God, the thing that they start saying is, you're not allowed to judge me. But we're not the judges. And we're not trying to judge. We're just pointing out that God is the judge and He will. Are we willing to die in order to continue teaching that message? Finally, Esther, who is willing to die in order to save others. In Esther chapter 4. In Esther chapter 4, we know once again this story. Haman had set up a, a plot against the Jews. And Mordecai had heard about it. Esther was the queen. And Mordecai sent to Esther saying, you're the queen, you need to go in and talk to the king and get him to stop this plan. But in chapter 4 and verse 11 of Esther, Esther said, all the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that for any man or woman who comes to the king to the inner court who is not summoned, he has but one law, that he be put to death unless the king holds out to him the golden scepter so that he may live. And I have not been summoned to come to the king for these 30 days. Mordecai told her some things. said, look, God's going to deliver whether it's through you or not. But maybe that's why you're here. And listen, if you don't step in the way, don't think that you'll survive just because you're the queen. So in verse 16, Esther said, Go, 
Assemble all the Jews who are found in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my maidens also will fast in the same way. And thus I will go into the king, which is not according to the law. And if I perish, I perish. In order to save people, she was willing to die. And really, if you think about it, that's what all these things have been about, really leading to this one. It's all about saving others. Because there's only one God who saves, one Lord Jesus who is the Savior, only one faith, His law and pattern, and we need to worship Him properly and live with virtue according to His will. And we want to save others, and the only way we can do that is by convicting them of their sins, teaching them, And we know that that's going to offend some. And we've got to tell them about the judgment that they're in danger of. Why are we doing all that? It's not because we're trying to put people in their place. It's not because we're trying to let people know that we're right and you're wrong. It's because folks are lost and dying and going to hell. And we don't want that. We want folks to be saved. Even if it means we have to die. Are we willing to do that? Are we willing to die? Are you?